in on Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Uh, we've got a uh, lot still to come on the show. Um, this text, agreeing with Elias Pettersson being returned to Kitchen. EP has one point in the week and didn't generate much of anything last week without playmaker Kuzmenko. <laughs> yeah. It's Kuzmenko's fault that they are together being returned to the kitchen. Just, I think it's just harsh. I uh, think it's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> you boys are pretty grumpy at each other. I'll tell you that for free. It's just because I riled up Sat by... Uh, I was having such a nice morning, too. <laughs> bringing up Chelsea. Good afternoon. I had a nap. I felt great. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV. Thanks for this, Donnie. Uh, so, like, Sat still gets tremendously upset when his Chelsea Blues lose on the weekend. And I, I brought it up to start the show just to to get the, the blood boiling a little bit. Is there is there a team that still gets your blood boiling every week? Maybe other than the Cox? <laughs> Okay, you're talking about somebody from Vancouver here. Yeah, um, yeah. Is there one other than the Canucks? Um, I can't really say that blood boiling. Um, I, I, I no, okay. I, I'm not. I, I would, I would say it's it, something in Vancouver. Well, the Canucks. That yep. would, that would be it. I just can't believe Sat takes a nap before the show. <laughs> I usually don't. I usually don't. But like, I had such a tough weekend. I mean, it was back-to-back games, right? And it's, it's yeah. and you know, the Canucks lost to the Sharks, and it's not a, f- right. a lot of fun to do a post-game show about losing to the Sharks and you know how people are feeling and everything. And you know, that morning Chelsea played and lost, and I woke up at seven after only sleeping four hours that night, nonetheless. And then yesterday, my one day off this week, I felt great watching football. And then the Cleveland Browns lose to the Denver Broncos. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't yeah. know. Like it's just it's just wow. like really frustrating. So today I woke Whoa. up. Had to work out but I, I, I still felt tired so i needed a nap and i felt better after the nap well you know what every time i turn on 650 you're on it so <laughs> you, it's, it's 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 well earned uh so it's it's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks for the canucks you know they're they're five and five through their their last 10 and you know considering it was in 17 days the 10 games it's you know, it's it's not bad. It's you you came through it and uh, you tread water through a tough ten game schedule with a lot of travel and all that, especially with the way they started. I don't I don't think it deserves any sort of like uh, alarm bells to be rung, but it's clear the coach is not too happy with the way that the team has played lately, and he made that pretty clear Saturday and sort of reiterated it a little bit today. Um, do you think Tockett is is kind of managing this team against falling into some some bad old habits? I think nothing bothers him more. I mean, obviously, maybe you know Andre Kuzmenko's two hundred foot game would bother him more, but but <laughs> I don't think anything bothers him more than excuses. And and you, you just constantly hear him talk about how when you're not feeling it, or you've traveled a lot, or you just don't have your legs that night, you have to fight through it. Because I, I don't care what level of sport you've played, we all know what it's like when it's just not there. Just the, you just the, your game isn't there. You know you're not 100. percent The real pros in hockey and every other sport are the ones that can fight through that and still make the smart plays. They're not necessarily going to be at their best physically, but they can still be in the right positions, make smart decisions. Uh, no matter how tired they are, or no matter how many penalties they've been uh, they've taken, they fight through that. And he talks about that all the time. He did after the loss against San Jose. Yeah, they didn't have it against the team they should beat. You have to fight through that. 
and not let guys go coast to coast on you, things like that. That bothers him more than, than anything out there. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear him say, say it again. He's been saying it since day one, but especially this year, where I just think he wants to make sure that guys can't use the age-old Vancouver excuse of too much travel, of more travel than most teams. That, that really, really bothers him. So the, the, the more I hear him talk, the more he's never going to let his team off the hook when it comes to things like that. No, and, and the thing, too, is it's not like we haven't seen prolific teams in the regular season in Vancouver before, right, Donnie? I mean, you go back mm-hmm. to the 90s, go back to the West Coast Express and the Sedins. I mean, we've seen this team put up over 100 points in seasons before, so it's not like it's 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 not like it's impossible to be able to get through a season and, and have a good record here. Yeah, and, and I think when it comes to, you know, uh, I mentioned the age-old excuses with, with, with the travel. And um, I'm not sure if you've traveled w- with the team before, although I'm not sure if anybody is these days. But um, uh, if you've traveled with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the team before, uh, it, it's I guarantee you, and I've, I've done it both ways. I've done it where I've followed the team, and I've done it where I've been on the, on the charter with, with, with the team. Whatever the case may be, it's way easier, I'm sure, than it was back in Talkett's day. So I, I bet you he has no time for excuses like that. It's luxury, can be luxurious. And I, you know, back in the day, and again, I bring up that phrase a lot. I'm old, I get it. But Talkett is, you know, a little bit younger than me. And he's seen the days where you get on a flight with just regular folk, if you want to call them that. And, you know, you're in an uncomfortable seat, you're not in first class and you have to get up and play hockey the next day or play hockey that day. So he'll have he'll have none of that. Like he he does I'm sure he, he he's never going to buy that excuse. Uh, you, you mentioned Andre Kuzmenko earlier. Uh, it, the first scratch I felt I felt was coming with some of the the commentary we had heard about mm-hmm. Kuzmenko's play uh, from from Rick Tockett. It, it was the second scratch that I was like, "Ooh, that's it's a bit of a bold call from the coach." I, I, we'll find out if he responds or not, but it it feels like we we could be seeing a uh, relationship developing or lack of relationship developing yeah. between uh, Andre Kuzmenko and Rick Tockett. Well, I didn't. I, I, I didn't find the sec uh, first one. Yeah, that that I we all got that. Yeah, okay, it's time, and he's been complaining about him. And um, I don't. I don't know if you saw him beaver tapping, uh, yeah. beaver tail tapping his stick instead of actually going out and, and attacking yeah. somebody. The go ahead goal against Colorado. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I kind of okay. There's something there that, that that's going to cost him. The second one, uh, the San Jose game, they won the night before. So, and Rick and I argued about this before. He didn't understand why, you know, uh, Kuzmenko wasn't playing on that on that second game against San Jose, fresh legs and, and all that. And uh, keeping in mind, Dolly Wall loves, you know, Kuzmenko's agent. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but but they won the night before. So I think most coaches would have been like, hey, look, we, we won. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stick with the same roster and, and, and go from there. So I wasn't totally surprised, but. I bet you Andre and his agent were. So I know you guys, uh, you were prodding Dollywall today, uh, trying to figure out, okay, so what does this all mean? You know, how does Milstein feel about all this? At what point should we be concerned where Will Milstein, who can be very loud, we saw how he ha- how he's handled uh, the situation in Calgary with Zadorov, and hey, these two situations are not the same. Every client's different. Uh, every situation is also different, and so it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do the same thing, but we're going off what we've seen from the character before and what that could mean. So, so at what point would you be concerned um, in terms of where this is going? Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's, it's hard to think of Kuzmenko being unhappy. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, I just can't, I can't envision it. You know, um, and keeping in mind that there were, you know, there was a scratch last year. We had Boudreaux today, and he talked about how he scratched him last year, and he came out, and he was way better. So, uh, you know, and I can't remember Kuzmenko being anything but positive, even when it came to that. But this has been going on for a while now. It's been going on for a season and a bit here regarding, okay, what about his complete game? Two coaches aren't happy, have not been happy with it at times. So how long is he going to stay a happy-go-lucky Andre Kuzmenko? Will Dan Milstein be in his ear? Milstein's kind of the same way, by the way. He's, he's, you know, I, we've had him on the show a few times. I know you guys have as well at 650, and he always seems like the happiest person in the world. But we know what's happened in, in, in Calgary, but I just, I, just I, I can't imagine. But there'll come a point, I'm sure, where if he doesn't feel welcome here, he'll be like, I don't care how much you're paying me. I need, I need, to, I need to get out of here. And, you know, like my career is only going to last so long. So if you can make a trade, go for it. The problem is he's got three goals in 19 games. Like how how much value would he have at, at, at this point? I, I'm not sure, but I get I just have a hard time imagining him being unhappy. Yeah, it's uh, even today. You know, he he was getting grilled with uh, with questions, and then he just turns the story, turns the page, and and just starts joking to to try and lighten the mood a little yeah. bit. Like, hey guys, enough with the the, the hard questions here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's that's just kind of his his demeanor, but. And when it comes to his line mate, uh, Elias Pettersson, you know, it kind of coincides. Like they're they're both in a bit of a slump here, and I think that is part and parcel with the Canucks being five and five over their last ten. You know, Pettersson still with twenty eight points, so you're not going to argue too much on on the overall point total. But you know, it's it's pretty obvious we're not seeing uh, what we usually see out of Elias Pettersson, and it it really makes the team have a different feel to it, doesn't it? So what is it? It's one goal in nine games, I believe, and then. He hasn't scored a five and five goal since the Dallas two nothing win on November fourth. So, you know, you could look at that, and a lot of people would say that's cause for concern. And 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 uh, you know, no no shortage of people, including myself, saying, "Well, oh, maybe something's wrong." We heard you know Patrick Johnson talk about the possibility of a groin issue, but Saturday against San Jose, he led all forwards in ice time over twenty four minutes. Now, if you have a groin injury, that's usually not going to happen unless you want to really injure somebody. So, um, I, you know, if, if it's not a health issue, then it's just a slump he's going through that time, I think, has proven that he'll, he'll, he'll get out of. But, hey, look, it's a long season. Something like that's bound to happen. You know, some negativity is bound to happen. If it's not a, if it's not a health issue, I, given that it was 24 minutes the other night, I don't think it is. I'm 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 if I'm a Canuck fan, I'm pretty confident he's gonna he's gonna bounce back. Well, that's how I feel about it too, Donnie. I think he's one of those guys where we've seen him hit slumps before, and we've seen him at his peak, and we, he always finds a way to figure it out and get through it. So I really don't have any concerns about him. But in terms of what the injury is, I mean, his his shot volume has been pretty solid actually the, this past six seven game stretch. But it doesn't seem like he's getting that one timer off as cleanly, nor with as much velocity. Like we 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 watch puck tra- tracking data. And the last uh, slap shot he got on the one timer was like 91 miles an hour, which is still strong. But we usually see him when he connects, it's like 97, 98, close to 100. So it doesn't seem like he he has as much um, power behind the shot right now. Yeah, and and sometimes when you're watching the game with Canuck fans and 
you know, they're like, get, you know, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you not shooting? What's wrong? And yeah. so that kind of points to maybe something's wrong. But again, I, I, I you know, Rick, if Rick Tockett knows something's wrong, why is he putting him out for more than any other forward on either team the other night? It's, it's, it's a, it's a strange situation. Like groin is something you, you, you've got to, you've got to rest to some extent. Uh, but that, that yeah. was, I thought that was a bit strange given, you know, everything we've heard that he played that much against San Jose. I know they were behind, you know, and, and you know, they're trying to you know, keep up with the team they should beat, but I still thought it was strange. Um, on the flip side, you know, to be a little bit more positive, yeah. Brock Besser, 15 goals, leads the league next to, uh, well, right there with Nikita Kucherov. I should uh, be careful about my wording. Sack got mad at me earlier. Yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, Brock Besser, 15 goals. It's uh, the the redemption season that we were all kind of looking for. I mean, when a guy's playing as well as he is, it's sometimes you kind of run out of things to, to say about how good he's been. But it just really is so refreshing to see Brock playing at his best. Man, he could have been up to twenty, and, and but the, you know all the chances he had in Seattle and San Jose, and he kind of finally broke through with a couple in in, in San Jose, and they end up losing that game. But yeah, it's good because look, I think I think you know we know we we get the idea and everything we've heard that he's a really good person, and what he went through last year losing his dad and his dad at a relatively young age that was tough, and it obviously weighed on him because Brock is a really good person who cares. I'm always going to have a soft spot for him. He gave my kid, my, my kid, when we went to a game, I think it was against Edmonton, Brock Besser first season. My kid made a sign. I said, you're wasting your time. You know, and there wasn't any media connection or anything like that. And a Besser, you know, like all they want for Christmas is, is Besser's stick. And he came over and gave us, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I'll always have a soft spot for him. He's a, he's a, he seems like a very good person. And I'm, I'm really happy for him. And guys, doesn't it seem like, and you know, maybe this has to do with his off season, but he just seems quicker. He just seems, he just seems faster. He seems better along the boards. He still had what 55 points last season. I think it was a you know, point or two shy of his career high, but he didn't look right this season. He looks, he looks right. And it's, you know, the, the Canucks are, are, are better for it. And he's been consistent and uh, good on him. You know, I know uh, we've we've had a lot of discussions about the team needing a, another defenseman to add to their current group, and I think that still applies. But we know how hard defensemen can be to find, especially in the trade market, Donnie, and in free agency for that matter. But if you're Patrick Alvine, uh, are, are you not looking for another impact forward to add to this roster at some point too, maybe even sometime before the deadline if you can? Well, if you really believe in this team, you know, I don't want to, you know, look, these guys are national hockey players. They're tremendous athletes, but they have had, you know, their top six has had people who spent a lot of time with the minor journeyman players like Phil Giuseppe, who I, it looks like he's going to get scratched tomorrow and Lafferty. Right. So, uh, you know, if, if they're really serious about this year, yeah, you're right. You know, defenseman, that would be the priority. But maybe you want to bump up, and maybe you want to improve that that top six. And uh, good on you. There's not a lot of people talking about that, but it's a it's a really good point. Because I just look at we, we. I think a couple of these games uh, over this past stretch were very instructive. We saw it even against Toronto in that second half of the game when the pace really took over, and we saw it against Colorado as well, where when their pace really goes up and. Mm-hmm. The Canucks, obviously, when Pedersen's going and Miller's going and Hughes is going, I mean, they can go up against anybody, really. But they those teams usually have an extra layer. Like, it's not just, you know, Matthews and, and Marner and Nylander. They have some other players as well. 
and when you watch, when I watched those games, it was clear they were lacking another at least real speedy type of player. Like as good as Brock is, and he's good at scoring goals. When the game's really tight, when somebody's got to get on pucks really quickly, he's not quite as quick as those guys. Right, right he is quicker, but he's not. It's, it's, to me, they kind of need a, a a guy who can play in the top six, but is like a real dynamic skater and and a guy can, who can be a bit forceful. Yeah, um, again, hard to find. Maybe they thought well, they'd get that in, in, in Mikheyev, and he he certainly provides that to, to some extent, uh, you know, and not necessarily the goal scoring department, but yeah, just, you know, you can you never have enough speed and, you know, there's people who complain enough about the Canucks size. Um, but yeah, they, they could definitely use somebody else. I, I never look at them and go, wow, they're way faster than everybody. And that's certainly something that, uh, that helps in any hockey club. So yeah, all this focus on the defenseman, on getting a defenseman, maybe a forward, uh, you know, if it's realistic would help as well. Donnie, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, d- can I can I clarify something? Some of our listeners are texting in. Did you piss off oh. Bruce Boudreau this morning? What's going on? Well, he was. Just, uh, yeah. it, it seemed like Bruce was just uh, not feeling going down certain. I, I thought you were being fair. Uh, well, yeah, you know what? Like we, we <laughs> there was a lot of that. Yeah, he was like for the first time I've ever heard him a little bit grumpy today. I thought, but that's fine. We all have the Monday morning blues or whatever the case may be. But Grandpa's are grumpy sometimes. It happens. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, even at this time of year. But, uh, uh, like, we, 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 you guys know what it's like. We started our conversation before Bruce got on the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about Kuzmenko. Right, like, and then, and then, oh, uh, by the way, here's Bruce is joining us now. And, hey, what, what was, what was Andre like to coach for you? Whatever, whatever the question was, and then we kind of went from there. And I just, I guess, you know, it's controversial. It's his old team, and you know, I, I kind of broke the old broadcast rule where you, you should ease, ease somebody into an interview as opposed to hit him with a little bit of a hard hitting subject right off the bat. So. Uh, he accused me of trying to make him say con- something controversial, but it was well, it, that wasn't my intention at all. So if that's why he was grumpy, I'll, I'll take the blame for it. Uh, Don Taylor, the one person to make Bruce Boudreaux grumpy. Um, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. uh, Donnie, you're the best. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. A- anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there he is, Don Taylor, joining us uh, as he does every Monday here on uh, Canucks Central and uh, Chef Swagger tweeting that in uh, that uh, Donnie pissed off Bruce Boudreaux this morning. Um, long gone are those Bruce Boudreaux days, but the Canucks still fighting to um, stay atop the th- the top three spots in the Pacific Division and continue to build on their game from the earlier parts of the season. It's just it's a team that. Like we know they're not that deep at the top of the lineup. And when guys like Patterson, Kuzmenko go through slumps, you feel it that much more. And I think more than anything, more than the fatigue excuse, all of that, I think that's what the Canucks are feeling most during this last 10 game stretch. Yeah. I mean, the fatigue plays a part. It's more like, I think, I don't think the fatigue you can dismiss. But no, you it can't, can't be. Dis- an, it's part of the story, but I don't think it should be the focus of the story. No, I think there are ways you can overcome and should overcome, and I think that's the expectation of playing tired. You can, you know, all, you get tired, you make more mistakes. It's true, but can you limit some of your discipline? That's I think it is. Can you be better with your discipline? But, Play more connected so that you overcome that. Stick to the staples. Yeah, in, in many ways, exactly, yes. right? And I think those things, you know, like I said earlier in the show, it takes time for those things to become second nature. This team is trying to figure it out, it, you know. But the amazing the amazing thing about the season is they set themselves up to be successful because of all the games they've won. But 
they're going to go as far as Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, and Demko are going to take them this yeah. year. The supporting cast, I think, have done a tremendous job not getting caved in and essentially leaving it up to the stars. If the stars are going, you're going to win. Yeah. That, that's what the, this Canucks team is. And they have enough secondary depth that we saw at times they can also help you win games. And you would hope so when you have guys in your bottom six making four and five million, like Garland and Bavillier. Yes. You know, and, and you know you have Luger and Suter who's injured now. But you have guys who are dependable and good. Lafferty's been good. So they are going to win you some games along the way. But they are not going to lose you games. So when they're not losing you games, your goaltending is good and your defense is getting by outside of mm-hmm. Hughes, uh, Hironic, and, and Ian Cole. Now Myers has been a bit better, but you know they really do it by committee, so to speak, on the back end. But if they lose a hockey game, it's usually because their top guys aren't going. Yeah, And that's a good place to be. And you should feel pretty good about your top guys. And the reality, too, is it's a long season. Mm-hmm. It's an 82-game season. The Canucks are always going to have tough stretches. And, and we had somebody challenge us you know, a couple weeks back when I made the point, we are going to see some trials and tribulations with this team. We are going to see them have 500 stretches. We are going to see them face adversity and, and have moments of doubt potentially. But it's about how you overcome those things and how you handle those things. And that's the mark of a good team over the course of a season where these challenges arise and you get past them. And that's what's, what's exciting to find out. I feel pretty good about them figuring some of this stuff out because they've exhibited some positive things. But it, I don't think we should expect this team for the final 60 games here to look like a killer every night. Like They are going to have ups and downs. It's a very long season. Uh, it is an incredibly long season. And the toughest stretch so far has been this 5-5 five and five stretch. That's not a bad stretch. You can live with that. But clearly some things in their game that they uh, need to keep working on to get better long-term. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, more coming on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Central, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, the NHL is bringing back the draft, Sat. The all-star draft. This is very exciting. They are doing away with the division format. And they will have four captains selecting teams with the help of a celebrity co-captain per Chris Johnston. This is very, uh, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be watching, but it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be watching? I Well, maybe for the draft, I'll watch the draft. Yeah, the yeah, draft. The draft itself, maybe. Honestly, like, drunk Alex Ovechkin may have been one of the best all-star moments of the last number of years. That's why they stopped it. That next to, you know, Brock Besser MVP. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's good. I like it. So wh- whoever goes last gets a car. 
I don't know. I don't know the, how they're going to do that. Apparently, because uh, players don't like get selected, don't like to get selected last. <laughs> they're going to have to figure out a way to, uh, uh, I guess, draw the last four players or something. I don't know. That's embarrassing. It seems so ridiculous. Like you get picked last, you get picked last. It's not the end of the world. You're still an all star. Yeah. So instead, you, feel, you, like, you well, that way you don't feel left out. It's like you and three other guys. And it would definitely. Hey, I got be the picked sandwich. last in a lot of these schoolyard drafts. Okay. Look at it's you. It's fine. Look at me now. It would definitely be the the San Jose guy. Whoever gets like sent from San Jose, Tomas Hurdle, yeah, or Tom, Tomas Hurdle, <laughs> or like we'll find Poor out Matt Benning, or like find out who the yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> we'll find out who like the league doesn't like. It's like why is this guy who's pretty good not getting drafted? Why isn't Pedersen getting drafted? <laughs> I love how like <laughs> I love how the Matt Benning thing was because Lyndon <laughs> exposed. Oh yeah, <laughs> that Jim didn't want. Pedersen, so Benning's Mark going after Pedersen. Pedersen. So uh, his nephew goes after him. Bennings don't forget. Uh, it, it happened again, though, where a clean hit, you know, gets uh, has to be responded to. You know, Pedersen gets dumped for a, a clearly clean hit, a good hit, and then he gets hit from behind by Matt Benning into the boards dangerously. Yeah, uh, yeah, he does. The hit from Pedersen is clean. Now I can see how it kind of looks like his elbow may have hit Addison yeah. in the head. I guess you get. Like so, I agree. It's not a, a char. Like he he speeds up pretty good and then coasts into the hit. Yeah, but you know, I guess it, you could call it a charge. You could too, call if you it a to. if you wanted to. You could call it a charge. And if you saw it from a certain angle, it could it looked like maybe he got his elbow up. Now I don't think it was because I think it was tucked. And yeah, you know, Addison's a smaller player too, so I really don't think there was much there. But I can see how maybe somebody like Benning saw that and thought, hey, that could have been a charge. It looked like he got his head. So to me, it wasn't like the the traditional big clean hit. Like it wasn't like Hoaglander on Tanov. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that. But still a fairly clean hit. And it's, I will say, after we uh, criticized Pedersen pretty good through the first bit of the show, I will say he was. It was good to see him get physically engaged and then create at least a power play opportunity for the Canucks. This is why, if it is, if he does, if he is playing through a growing injury, it's not really hindering him too much. What it looks like to me, we've seen his wrist be taped up. Whether it is his wrist or not, whether he's healthy or not, he's not getting a shot off on the power play as well and clean as he normally does. And there isn't as much power behind it as it normally yeah. is. That to me is a sign of something's not right. Yeah, you know, is a technique all of a sudden, which I don't think it is. Yeah, could it be something with the wrist? Now I don't think he has the type of wrist injury that's going to be long term, or like he's got to sit games. Like it could be a very small, minor thing he can play through, and he's still very effective being through it. But is it is it right now in the moment preventing his shot from being the same level? Like that's the thing that I notice more than anything else. The way he handles the puck and the way he shoots the puck isn't quite at the level we normally see. You've seen it uh, even on the broadcast. You can point like they often whenever he does get a one timer off. Yeah, um, you could see that it's. It seems like usually it's around 93, 94-ish. Uh, these last few, it seems like it's around 89, 90 yeah, when, yeah. They've, when they've clocked it. The best one, the one time I saw was 91. Yeah. Recently. So yeah. You're, losing a, you're losing a couple ticks on it. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, the big news out of the National Hockey League today, Minnesota Wild, moving on from head coach Dean Evison. Joining us now is Joe Smith uh, covering the Minnesota Wild for The Athletic. Uh, thanks for this, Dean. I know uh, you're... 
probably having a wild and busy uh, evening right now, so we appreciate uh, your time. Um, we know the Wild have been struggling, but uh, your thoughts on this decision to uh, move on from the head coach? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, anytime a, a team goes in this kind of a stretch, you know, you lose seven in a row and 13 of 16, a team that won, had 100 points each of the last two seasons, so there's going to be, you know, some pressure and uh, the seat's going to be a little warmer for the head coach. Nevison and and it's a lot easier in this business to change the head coach that is to change the roster and we've seen it many places before so it came to a head obviously after Sunday so you know unfortunate for Dean obviously a really good man and hardworking hockey coach but they just felt that a change with John Hines coming over can maybe spark something here and even in a Western Conference where there's kind of a murky middle there they can make a little bit of a run here uh, and play up to expectations from the outside. It seems like a situation where, generally speaking, Bill Guerin doesn't like to rush into anything. He said that himself, and it seems like he he's very a, a very big fan of Dean Nevison. How much of this do you think was uh, Guerin looking at it and saying we have to make a change, and how much of it do you think was also added pressure from from above potentially? Well, I mean, it's no secret that that both Bill Guerin and owner Craig Leopold are aligned and agreed since he took over. It's kind of been a mandate that they're not going to rebuild. Uh, with the Minnesota Wilds, um, they've talked about it a lot. That they've kind of their goal every year is the playoffs and beyond. So I think that internal expectations always kind of drives them. Um, but I, I think in an ideal world, I think Garen would have kept Dean for the for the rest of the season. Um, you know, the roster is what it is, and you know they created it themselves. And you know, obviously, but I think once it gets to a point where it starts a snowball like this. There's only a few options you can have. And, you know, you know, Bill has a history with John Hines dating back to Pittsburgh days and, and such. So obviously knows what he's getting there, but, but yeah, I think in an ideal world, they would have, you know, kept Dean. I think they both align in what they what kind of team they want to have and the style they want to play. Um, but I'm not sure. I can't say for certain that it was, something that was mandated by the, the owner in the situation. I just know that they're, they're, they're kind of in line with what they want to do, and I don't think it's hard for them to stomach a, a chance to or a time to go into a lottery situation. Sometimes I, I feel like uh, the, uh, oh, the goaltending is bad <laughs> uh, part of the conversation is, is focused on a, a little too much, but uh, from what you've seen, is, is this stretch, is this slump, how much of it is due to goaltending and how much of it is due to per, per, poor performance overall? Yeah, and I don't know. I think we all mentioned those stats, too. Like, I think the longest tenure coaches in the league, and John Cooper would tell you that they benefit from, like, he had benefit from having a Vasilevsky and Bishop back-to-back number one goalies over the course of his life. But, but yeah, I think it wasn't just the goaltending here. It was the penalty kill was the worst in the National Hockey League, which really cost them. Um, you have a lot of players um, that are underperforming from what they did last year, what they're capable of doing. Um, to where if your best players are a couple of rookies and, and Brock Faber and, you know, Marco Rossi has been one of the best forwards. I, I think, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a perfect storm of things here that's led them in this spot. So um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a quick fix, but I think this is uh, something that the organization felt that they needed to do to um, to make a change and, and see if this can, can spark something out of the rut that they're in. 
it's always easy to pile on and, and be negative when things go wrong and you look at the buyouts and the cap situation and everything and, and point fingers and, and all that. It's easy to do. At the same time, this is an organization that's made a lot of great trades, a lot of great moves and some great draft picks. And we look at Brock Faber. I'm, I'm so impressed, even though they've struggled. When I watch him, I just see this tremendous young defenseman. But part of the plan had obviously been that some of the players they've drafted would come in and play on cheap contracts, especially over these lean years, you know, this year, the next year. Are they getting enough from the Marco Rossi types and, and those other prospects they had hoped would come in and, and play internally? Well, I think those are just two examples. Uh, you know, Rossi and and Faber, who are ones the number one center, ones are who's played the second most minutes among defensemen for the Wild, and, and Faber uh, only behind Jonas Brodeen. Um, but I think I do think the Wild have signed some veteran guys like like this the Marcus Foligno and Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman are were supposed to be pending UFA is going to next summer and, and Bill Guerin made the decision to sign all three of them in September to multi year deals and obviously with no move and no trade clauses. So um you kinda of fill up your roster pretty quick when you have those guys plus Kaprizov and, and Boldy and Joel Erickson next sign long term. Um there are not many guys that are coming off the books this year. So the spots that there are available have been taken up by some of the younger players, and that'll that'll change even getting more next year when they have some of their other top prospects that they hope are coming over um, from overseas, whether it's Liam Ogren in Sweden or um, Daniela Yurov in the KHL. So um, that's where they're at right now, and I think they're yeah you need good players on ELCs to contribute if you want to win a cup, just because of the cap, especially with them and their cap situation, as you know, fourteen point seven million in dead cap with the Parisi and Suter buyouts. What's uh what's been going on with Kirill Kaprizov? I, I know he's still close to a point per game, but he just he hasn't felt like the the star player we've become so used to seeing him as. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's a tough one. I know he had got a, a lower body issue checked out like a few weeks back and got cleared from that. And it's hard for me to say whether he's you know he won't say or he, he says he's fine and physically okay. But you're you're right. You don't see that same explosiveness. And then skating, and um, you know, just kind of breaking out in games and kind of dominating in stretches. Like I covered the Lightning for so many years, and I came to Minnesota last year and immediately watched Kaprizov in games. I mean, this guy is a top seven player in the National Hockey League. He was just that eye popping off the the page, and you watch him. And this year, you know, the team hasn't played well or consistent. Not just him, but when you're in a team in that situation, this cap. Um, spot and struggling, you know, guys, when the guys like that don't produce or, or take over games or give you that extra difference-making moment, then it kind of exacerbates itself to him and Matt Boldy in particular, since they're two of the highest paid players. But, but yeah, I think there's probably more in there for Kaprizov and, you know, just being around him just a little bit, knowing how competitive he is and how much he wants to win. The, the start of the season has to really be frustrating for him. Uh, before I let you go, the final one here, uh, I didn't want to ask you about Joel Eriksson because it seems like he's a guy that has been viewed as a defensive-minded center and maybe a third-line guy that maybe we consider him a second-line type of center. But it seems like the past three years, he just keeps adding more and more to his game. This year, 17 points, 10 goals in 19 games. Uh, is he one of those guys that as soon as you think he is something, he keeps adding something else? Uh, I agree. And he's arguably their, their most irreplaceable player. Um, you look at what happened... Last year, when he broke his leg, you know, going into the playoffs, and they were, you know, they don't have a lot of depth up front in the middle, up the middle, anyways. But just missing him in the penalty kill, uh, defending everything else, um, just wasn't the same. And 
for a guy coming off that injury to have team high 10 goals, six on the power play, which I think we're number three in the National Hockey League right now, just kind of a heart and soul kind of player. And I covered defensive player that's vers- more versatile offensively than like, like, like that in, in Tramp and Anthony Sorelli. Those guys that the coaches really love having around because they drag you into the fight and are identity type players. So no question how valuable he's been, arguably the, the most valuable player of the season so far. Hey, Joe, uh, no, it's been a busy day. Thanks for your time today. No problem, guys. Have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, there is uh, Joe Smith. You can check out his uh, work at The Athletic. As the Minnesota Wild moved on from uh, Dean Evison today and placed him with John Hines, who uh, was the coach with the Nashville Predators and prior to that, uh, the New Jersey Devils. So it's kind of an interesting move by the Wild. Um, their roster has noticeably taken a hit over the last couple of years and certainly having to deal with the heavy dead cap hit of Ryan Suter and Zach Parise's buyouts. And they've also... Bill Guerin's made some questionable decisions on who to spend his money on, (laughs) if I'm going to be honest about it. But some of those... As Joe mentioned, you know, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, those contracts don't even start until next year anyhow. So the roster is what it is. Well, they also gave uh, Matt Zuccarello a two-year extension that kicks in next year, and he's 36. Yeah, so some questionable decisions on how they chose and how they've been choosing to spend the money they do have available to flexibly change the roster next year. But they've still underperformed. Like, I don't think it's a great roster, but... I also don't think it's as bad as they've shown to be so far this season. And I think they'll correct some of it. I mean, they're not losing some of these games really poorly. They're having a tough time scoring. And I mentioned Zuccarello. He has 21 points in 19 games. But they've locked into this roster. But like we were talking to Joe about, I think the plan all along with this team had been we have the Marco Rossi's coming in and taking a step. Brock Faber we traded for. We have the other guys that we've drafted and, you know, that we feel good about. And that's something they talk so much about. They're going to draft a bunch of guys develop a bunch of players and they're going to supplement the roster yeah and they're going to really help us take that next step and that's really going to be the lifeblood of that team so far this year i think Frey faber's been great and i think rossi's been all right but they're not really getting their other guys playing at a high level but i think there is a chance that over the next couple of years that those players if they break through because they have a bunch of prospects then they're going to be in a good position are they going to be like the kings though yeah, where some of them don't work out, but do you trade some of them to get the help that you need? That that might be the step that they may have to make, because as much as you want, you rely on these young guys coming in. It takes time for those guys to develop. It takes time for those guys to be big time contributors. And you clearly have a bit of a window here with some of these guys that you're signed, like Zuccarello. You, next couple of years, then he's gonna be 38. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you're you're committed to the primes or you know the very best few years left in a lot of these Twilight guys. Twilight years. So that's going to be something they have to look at the next couple of years. Do they pull a Kings and trade some of these prospects and make moves for the now? Because if they're waiting, they may have to wait for a while. Uh, Matthew Boldy, just one goal so far on the year in 12 games. He's not been the dominant player they've expected him to be. It's, uh, it's an interesting playoff picture as we hit the quarter mark of the season, right? We've talked so much about the trials and tribulations of the Edmonton Oilers and where they currently stand. They've won two in a row, but they're still, um, you know, six points out of the final playoff spot in the Western Conference, which 
isn't so bad. I mean, it doesn't sound terrible. They still have two games in hand on the Seattle Kraken as well, so things could be worse, but it's still a long climb. And there's kind of a like those are probably the two teams in the West that are most surprising to be on the outside looking in is Minnesota and Edmonton because I just I expected yeah. more out of them. See, so I did pick Minnesota to make the playoffs. We were talking about this before the show, though. Like all summer, I've been going over the Wild roster, yeah, and being like, really, I don't know about this team. <laughs> and then you compare them to some of the other teams. Like you know, at the end of the day, you know they have Flurry and Gustafson. Gustafson was so good last year. Their top four is still strong. Spurge has been injured, but you get Spurge and you have Faber, who's a really good, strong young player. You have Jonas Brodin, who's good, and Jacob Middleton can hold his own. So they have a top four that's actually pretty decent. They have Kaprizov. But then you go through the depth of the roster, and it's not really there. And they yeah. weren't impressive to me. Like, I wanted to pick them not to make the playoffs, but I couldn't get past, I don't think Calgary's looking great. Like, I, I think, you know, maybe Seattle has a bit more to show. Uh, and I wasn't sure where Winnipeg was going because they hadn't signed Shifley and, and Hellebuck yet. And I'm like, oh, are they going to be rebuilding? Or where, where are they going organizationally? But I, I just look at that team, and I'm underwhelmed. Like, I think their ceiling was to be like a wildcard team. Like, I didn't see them being more than a wildcard team. Maybe if that division is weak, they, they grab the third spot behind Dallas and Colorado because, hey, who's claiming it between Winnipeg, um, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Arizona, Louis. St. Louis? I mean, those are the teams you're looking at, you know? So it's like it's not, you know, the toughest competition. But they still have a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, you win the two games in hand. All of a sudden, you're sitting there with 18 points in 20 games, and you're only two or three points back. Uh, so the Oilers, thanks to Connor McDavid and uh, company, finally coming around. It seems like they're getting it back on track, but uh, we've seen them win a couple of games in a row before. They still got a long way to go. If you, can, it's it's one of those things like, can you get to 500 by the new year? Now, if you're the Oilers, right? Like you're still five games under. If you can get to 500 by the new year, you're probably feeling like you can make some level of a push towards the end of the year. If they get to 500 by New Year, they're making the playoffs. Yeah. Like would, I, I'm not betting against Connor McDavid to make the playoffs if they're, if they're 500 with over 50 games to go on the season. Yeah. It would it would be uh it would be quite a December for them, but if they get there, then they'll have uh, a good chance of getting to the playoffs. So Edmonton's uh, next opponents, Vegas, Winnipeg, Carolina, Minnesota, New Jersey. Those are their next five games. Pretty big five-game yeah. stretch. Pretty tough. Pretty tough. Uh, Vancouver is uh, getting Vegas, their first look. Uh, obviously, Anaheim tomorrow, which we'll have uh, pregame for. We'll be on Sportsnet Pacific for it as well, 630 and a 7 o'clock puck drop from Rogers Arena. And then Vegas visits Rogers Arena on Thursday. And it'll definitely be billed as one of those measuring stick games. Vegas, for as much as we've talked about Vancouver going through it lately, Vegas was 11-1-1 through their first 13 games. Uh, they are now 14 5 and two, so uh, they are three, four, and one over their last eight games. Not exactly a stellar run for the Vegas Golden Knights that they're on, but we know still the class of the Western Conference, defending Stanley Cup champions. I know we've talked about like, hey, maybe Vancouver and LA are already setting up to be first round opponents. LA might win the division. Yeah, I mean, I, so I still think Vegas is the better team. Yeah. But which team is going to have the most juice and determination and motivation this year? 
It might be the LA Kings. Yeah, and they're going to get hot. They, they've gotten hot. They've really figured out their team game already. It, the thing is with them, they already have an established identity, and they had disappointment of losing in the playoffs last year, and now they have a few new pay, pay faces as well, and they seem like a team that is very determined. Mm-hmm. And that can really drive a team all season long, whereas for a team like Vegas, get off to this great start, now you're seeing the unevenness in their game a little bit, and how much determination and motivation are they going to have to truly try to be a 108-point team, 110-point team, which is something that maybe L.A. does this year. So I'm with you. I think with the way uh, the Kings are going right now, we shouldn't dispel the notion that Vancouver, if they finish in the top three, they're playing Vegas. Um, the the biggest thing, I mean, look, Pierre-Luc Dubois has fit in pretty well there, and you know they can roll through all four forward lines fairly easily with how they're set up, especially down the middle of the ice with Kopitar, Deneau, and Dubois. But Trevor Moore has been great so far this season for them, has added uh, some goal scoring that maybe I didn't think Trevor Moore necessarily had, but we're seeing it so far. Quinton Byfield finally starting to to reach his potential. Maybe he's not the center that we thought he was going to be when he was drafted, but, man, he's looked good on the left wing of of Andre Kopitar. That size – combination with speed and skill like we talk about you know how jt miller is a rare breed a six foot five power forward that can speed with the speed and skill that yeah quentin byfield has is very rare so even if he's not say the player they had hoped being drafted second overall he might still be a very unique power winger who can produce at a high level my question with him comes down to what type of goal scorer is he going to be yeah he hasn't really flashed that yet. I mean, if you look at his past 27 games in the AHL level, he has 13 goals, which isn't bad. But he hasn't really popped off goal scoring-wise at the pro level yet. He showed that, obviously, playing in junior. But is he going to be an actual goal scoring power winger? Or is he going to be a, you know more of a playmaking power winger? He's so far looked like more of a playmaker uh, off the wing. And that even goes back to, to last year. Um, taking him some time to find a little bit more of that goal scoring touch and uh, we'll see how it develops. I mean, he's come quite a long ways and that draft class, all of a sudden, you know, Laf- Lafreniere is uh, starting to play really well this year. Uh, we're seeing a lot of good players coming out of that 2020 draft class. Arthur Kaliev uh, off to a good start with the LA Kings as well. So uh, those are just a couple of things to look at as we move forward. Canucks and Vegas Golden Knights later on this week, a heavyweight tilt at Rogers Arena. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.